Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. Another creator-owned spotlight. We're going to be talking about a Zoop campaign today for an award-winning collection. Uh, this series has already won an Eisner Award. It's absolutely fantastic. I have the creator of the series, uh, Edgardo Miranda Rodriguez, joining me to talk about La Borinquena. So, uh, Edgardo, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being on your show and uh, you taking some time to have a conversation with me about this new project. Yeah, it's it, there's a lot of love for this project, and rightfully so. It, you know, it's one of those things where uh, comics are more diverse and more representative than ever. We still have a long way to go. Don't get me wrong, but uh, when you were growing up, did you read comics? I mean, was this a thing that like you just didn't see enough of people that look like you in, in books? Gosh. What? Listen, I grew up. First of all, I grew up very poor. Um, New York City, Puerto Rico, Pennsylvania, Syracuse. New York, um, shout out to Fala, um, high school. Um, by the time I was 18, I lived in like 22 different places, um, collected bottles and cans to save up money to buy comics. Ironically enough, it's still a nickel for every bottle and can, just like it was when I was a, a child. Except back then, comics were like 50 to 75 cents. And I was like, what, at least four, $4 for a comic book, right? Um, but yeah, I've always been into comic books. Um, always collected Marvel and DC and uh, my favorite hero uh, growing up was uh, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, rest in peace, John Romita senior. Um, he was actually my favorite and then immediately followed up by his son um, who I'm acquainted with an incredibly beautiful person, John Romita jr. Yeah. Uh, I loved, I love Peter because, you know, he struggled. He was poor uh, like me he was a working class for superhero. And, you know, and before it became kind of like this phenomenon that is now um, a Spider-Verse with multiple iterations of Spider-Man, I got that back then. You know, there was not this kind of like uh, sales pitch that he's the everyman, he's the, anyone could be under that mask. Now that's like almost like an overused phrase, but back then I got it. And I literally said, I can be Spider-Man because it's any, uh, it, the, the costume covers him completely. So I've always been into comics, always had my long boxes, uh, traveled everywhere with my comics, lost a huge collection uh, in Puerto Rico when I lived there during Hurricane Hugo. Most of those books were my entire uh, Walt Simonson Star Wars collection, which I was a huge fan because obviously there was no Disney Plus back then. So the Marvel Star Wars series was our Disney Plus. Hello. Yeah. You know, and uh, and, you know, getting into comics, I decided to. Uh, do a uh, pivot in my career as a graphic designer. I'm still a graphic designer and creative director, but I had the opportunity collaborating with um, Joe Quesada and Axel Alonso at Marvel. And my first introduction to comics professionally was in 2007 when I curated uh, Joe Quesada's first solo exhibition, uh, The Art of the Centurions, which was a, an all Latin superhero team that he created um, that was a, uh, nested in this mini series that he wrote and illustrated called Daredevil Father. Uh, so comics have been a part of my life. These these shelves behind me now hold uh, our La Borinquena collection. But before I was publishing La Borinquena, I I kind of like upgraded from long boxes to these um, bookcases with doors for my for my collection. Now they're back in the long boxes, you know, because I got to keep these for my inventory for for our books. Well, what you know, again, representation has gotten better. Um, but yeah, when you decided, hey, I'm gonna, I want to make a comic for those kids out there that, you know, were like me that can have a better idea of 
you know, seeing themselves in the book and knowing, you know, be inspired and knowing they're, they're part of something, knowing they're seen, right? Um, so talk to us a little bit about the the, the journey of, of creating Labor in Kenya and, and, and how it came together for you. Um, well, you, well, you know, I mean, growing up with comics and on, quite honestly, growing up as a person of color in the United States, you know, whether we're reading or studying literature or reading on our own, either novels or comics, you know, we accept and understand this idea of the universality of all characters, right? A good writer, a good character is just that. But the reality is that we're told that yet none of the characters look like us, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, we see ourselves in Peter Parker. We see ourselves in Steve Rogers. We see ourselves in Clark Kent. I don't really see myself in Bruce Wayne. Never it has. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but I think that the reality is, is that when you have this opportunity to be in a position like myself, where I have my own design studio, um, and I have been now for like 22 years, I have the skill set the resources and the, well, the opportunity to start producing and telling my own stories. And I entered into the space of comic book publishing um, for others. I produced comics for uh, Daryl McDaniels of Run DMC, John Leguizamo of Broadway, TV, and and and, um, and film. Um, but I decided to start publishing Labor in Kenya because I also had a background before getting into design as an educator and as a community organizer. So I was very concerned about this humanitarian crisis affecting Puerto Rico. Uh, For many who don't know, um, Puerto Rico has and and has been uh, a property, a a colony of the United States for over a century. So there are 3 million Puerto Ricans right now on the archipelago that are US citizens. And there's 6 million of us across the United States. So my great grandparents were born in Puerto Rico, but they were born US citizens. And many of us for generations, including my own brother served in the military and whether we're born in here, here in the United States or, or Puerto Rico. So I wanted to create a project to address this lack of information and an opportunity to kind of like center uh, a character around a real place. Uh, not Wakanda, but Puerto Rico. Not Norse mythology, but Taino mythology. And uh, that idea kind of like manifested itself, you know, seven years later into what is now going to be a 300 plus page, you know, volume. People are trying to, you know, ask me to call it an omnibus and I have omnibuses. This is not an omnibus. I don't have like a thousand something pages, <laughs> you know, um, that's like a door stopper, those omnibuses. This for me is the first volume because it's the first large story arc that I've written and published over these last seven years. And it's going to include uh, four graphic novels, six short stories, and over uh, 50 pinups with over 50 different artists and their incredibly beautiful interpretations of the character. So I entered into the space of comic book storytelling with this project specifically because I wanted to use it to address issues that really weren't finding themselves in mainstream media outlets. And that's exactly what happened. One, one is the idea, the other is the reality. You know, When I announced this project in May of 2016, I immediately was, was doing interviews uh, on NBC, on Fox, on CNN, on uh, CBS. I was invited to Washington, D.C. to give a, a talk at the Smithsonian National Museum of American History to an audience of curatorial graduate students um, I was invited to Gracie Mansion in New York City by the mayor of New York. I had a day named after me by the mayor of New York City. And my first book wouldn't be released until December of 2016. And in the following year, 
the National Museum of American History made our first graphic novel an official part of their permanent collection. So I've had this opportunity to bring this project to a broader audience and can honestly share with you that the majority of our readers aren't Puerto Rican, you know, and I, which is kind of like, you know, um, parallel to saying that the majority of Wonder Woman readers aren't from the island of Themyscira or the majority of Black Panther readers aren't from a place that doesn't exist called Wakanda. But in the case of, of La Borinquena, the majority of our readers aren't. A quick example, the Penn Faulkner Foundation in Washington, D.C. has been a number one supporter of our work for years. They buy our books and they distribute them to public schools throughout the Washington, D.C. area. And I frequently visit Washington, D.C. and talk to students from primary through secondary education. And it's very rare if I even find a Puerto Rican in the classroom. It's an incredibly diverse group of, of students, but demographically speaking, not any Puerto Rican. So it's an opportunity to kind of like introduce a hero that can be uh, an every person, not necessarily an every man, but an every person, right? That doesn't have to look like Steve Rogers or doesn't have to look like Clark Kent and can actually be uh, a black woman with long, thick, curly hair and a colorful costume as well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because here's the other thing. You know, yes, yeah, so many people in this country in the United States aren't aware that yes, Puerto Rico is part of the United States. These are these are U.S. citizens. The Puerto Rican flag, it shares the same colors. <laughs> I mean, how easy is that? Yeah. <laughs> They're stars. And when I first saw uh, the character of La Borinquena, um, you could easily see, yes, she's she's American. She's celebrating so much of what there is. And the other part of the story is that, you know, when you're talking about exploring ideas of heroism and courage, you know, that 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 transcends any sort of nationality, but also the things that she's concerned about, right? Like climate change and pollution, right. environmentalism. That's something that should speak to everybody. It doesn't matter where you're right. from. We all only have one earth, right? So yeah. can you talk a little bit about her as, as a character and, and, and kind of the elevator pitch of the series. So it actually connects a lot to my research. This is consortium of scientists. This is real life. This is not part of the story. This is a consortium of scientists out of um, Germany. They call themselves German Watch. They published an incredibly dense report on the real world um, effects and predictions of climate change. And page after page after page kept pointing to Puerto Rico as being ground zero for the most cataclysmic events over the next few years related to climate change. And we've seen that. We saw Hurricane Maria in 2017, that was a category five storm. Although we had a global pandemic in uh, that kicked off like March pretty much of 2020, January of 2020, there was a series of earth shattering earthquakes in Southern Puerto Rico. Um, that pretty much was almost like swept under the rug because of the global COVID-19 pandemic. And then just last fall, there was another hurricane. Um, just recently, the governor of Puerto Rico announced a state of emergency because the beaches are eroding. The coastlines are literally disappearing. In the first issue of La Borinquena, she helps a gale of leatherback sea turtles, in layman's term, a group of turtles, right? Um, because they're lost at sea. And she guides them to a beach so that they can nest. They can nest their eggs. And for those that understand the migration of, of leatherback um, um, turtles, they literally migrate from as far south as uh, the Chile, like literally the southern tip of like, like South America to as far north as even Canada. And one of their stops along the way is Puerto Rico. 
So what we bring in issues of climate change into the books organically as part of the story. She's not going to stand on a soapbox and page after page start monologuing. If anything, I like I like using the the old school monologue technique for for villains. I just love when the, when villains start monologuing, right? Um, so her character kind of like brings in these issues of climate change as part of her own adventures. So like I, I addressed the eroding sea levels, the eroding the disappearing beaches. She saves a. a a gale of, of, of sea turtles, of leatherback um, sea turtles. So a lot of ways we bring in those themes into the story to kind of like organically talk about these things to make it seem more grounded. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's, a, there's actually an incredible movement in Puerto Rico where many activists and community leaders are really fighting to reclaim beaches because uh, developers are trying to push the, the property lines of their condominiums and hotels further because the beaches are eroding and people are saying, no, these are public beaches, you can't claim them. So we've brought in a lot of these themes. The superhero comes from traditional storytelling where her powers come from a deity. You know, I love the concept of Superman because he pretty much is Moses, right? With La Borinquena, she's this character that is kind of relatable in a lot of ways because although she's Puerto Rican, she's from New York City. And she finds herself in Puerto Rico because she's an undergraduate student that's there to help her grandparents who are supposed to be retired, but they're still wanting to run a cafe. So she studies abroad for a semester, studies in these caves on her own independently because the schools are cutting back on their programs. And since she's a visiting student, she's not on their priority list. Sets up an independent study, finds ancient crystals in these many caves that she's exploring because she's an environmental um, studies student. And when she puts these crystals together, it opens this magical portal that connects her to the deities of the Tainos, who are the original people of Puerto Rico. And these goddesses and gods imbue her with elemental superpowers, the ability to fly because she can manipulate the wind, um, the ability to manipulate weather, the ability to move the earth and to move water. And this portal is part of her star, it's her costume, so it's not a flat star, it's a crystal star, and allows her to literally like occasionally have conversations or even arguments with the mother goddess of the Tainos. So the story is kind of like very old school superhero storytelling. A lot of people kind of like have compared it to um, 70s, 80s, DC, even like um, Fawcett, like uh, Captain Marvel days. Um, Interestingly enough, I actually grew up reading um, mostly Uncanny X-Men by uh, Chris Claremont or... um, or uh, Stan Lee's early um, Spider-Man when he was drawing with Steve Dicko and John Romita. Um, but I've kind of like found a formula that works, not necessarily a formula that I love per se, but a formula that works for the character. And and one of the biggest stories that I really challenged myself in writing was in our second book, because I felt I it was important to tell this kind of existential conversation around the idea of being a superhero. And... And I felt that that was so much more universal than something very specific, but also even goes beyond superhero because many of us kind of have this conflict with who we are. Right now, we're having this conversation. This is a persona of who I am. When I'm done with this, I'm going to the kitchen and I'm washing dishes because I'm dad and I'm my and I'm my wife's husband. I'm a completely different persona. Right. And and thinking about the whole concept of superheroes when she has her cape. She's this it. She's this kind of extra version of herself. And when she's literally wearing her hoodie and her hair up and her glasses, she's just a college student or she's just her grandparents' granddaughter. So that, it to me, is a very important part of the storytelling where we kind of like get more into the actual 
character and into the psyche and into even the whole idea of what does it mean to be a superhero and how do you lose yourself in this idea of being a superhero? What happens to your secret identity? And the last thing that I love the idea of, of superheroes without masks. Even though it's even though those of us who grew up reading comics are purists, and many of us were like completely annoyed when the Marvel Cinematic Universe completely like for almost the entire movie shows characters without a mask on. I mean, it's it's really funny. It's like so like we're so used to it. Like in the heat of a battle, Cap has to rip his mask off. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, like man, I'm so hot. Let me take my mask off now and keep fighting, right? Um. But the idea of her never having a mask, I really, really love that idea because I, I believe in this concept of like the invisible woman, kind of like Ralph Ellison's famous book about race in the United States, The Invisible Man. But I remember as a nerd growing up that I felt very much invisible. You know, I didn't stand out like the, uh, the, the jock or the thug or the, you know, class clown. Um, I was invisible and, you know, I could have, I easily could have had conversations throughout the years with people who said, oh, did you go to that school? And I could have responded, yeah. And I sat next to you. Not only the we <laughs> in the same school, I sat next to you. So I love the idea of the, of the unmasked superhero because when she's La Borinquena, her hair is out. She has this colorful costume. And when she's Marisol, she's wearing cargo shorts, a, a hoodie. Her hair is up in a bun and she's wearing glasses. And sometimes she doesn't need the glasses to kind of have that Clark Kent effect. It's just she's just the non kind of like um, uh, gorgeous, uh, proto, you know, stereotypical character that a, that a young woman would be portrayed as in a way. Yeah, and it seems like right right from the start, you know, you mentioned uh, announcing the series and having all that reaction. Then when the the first issue dropped, you you really had a great community that kind of rallied around the book. I mean, Rosario Dawson, I know, is a big fan. Um, so anybody who joins the Zoop campaign, like you're going to be joining a community. There's already like s- such a following and, and such a great sense of uh, fellowship around this character, around the series, right? We're very lucky. It's really, you know, it's, it's kind of like um, bizarre is the best way to kind of describe it, ethereal, right? When you have celebrities that are reaching out to you and you're still their fan. You know, it's not like somebody's coming to you and you're like, who's this guy? You know, yeah. um, and it, and it's like like one of my biggest supporters is um, Ruben Blades, who many of you may know as an actor on from the TV series Fear of the Walking Dead. Um, but he's also an award winning uh, multi Grammy award winning salsa musician. And I've listened to his music since the 1980s. And I've had many times to meet him and learn that he's a huge comic book fan. But not only that, he's a comic book art collector so he's like one of our our biggest fans one of my most memorable moments was walking through lower manhattan all the way to um union square where forbidden planet our local comic shop is here in new york city and he asks me if i would mind walking into the comic shop with him because he wanted to buy my book and that just was like incredible i mean i wish there was a tower record so i could have bought a a a vinyl record of this but those don't exist anymore but you're right you know this is incredible camaraderie and support and I love to call them allies like uh Rosario she's literally right here on this banner right behind me she's been supporting us from the beginning she has her own La Borinquena costume uh, she appeared as herself in this graphic novel that's going to be collected in our in our volume and I mean she's a soaker for crying out loud I mean <laughs> it's crazy you know but it's 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 exciting it really is exciting to have this kind of like genuine support 
from from so many people and so many artists and so many celebrities that I personally respect and admire. Yeah, and that's not even to mention just you know your typical comic book fan who you know like we said is seeing something of themselves, but then others that you know that they are they may not even be aware until they read this that you know Puerto Rico is part of the United States. They're becoming part of it. They feel. Like, oh, I have something in common with Rose, uh, Rosario Dawson because I love this, too. I mean, that's just that's just cool, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you know, one of the, one of our biggest projects that we worked on is not going to be part of this volume for um, trademark reasons. But we teamed up with I'm trying to see if I could if I could actually find it. Um, we teamed up with DC Comics. This is what won us the Eisner. Um, this one us Eisner's Humanitarian Order. And it was this team up when La Wooden Kenya teams up with Wonder Woman, with Superman and pretty much the entire DC Universe. And it was an opportunity to show this brand new character alongside already established characters and and stories that were not only written by myself, but written by Gail Simone and Greg Pak and illustrated by Tony Daniel, Ken Lashley, Ron Salas, Bill Sinkevich, Dennis Cowan. We even in this book have a short story of uh, um, of. La Borinquena with Static and Icon from the Milestone Universe, which predated the rebirth right. of the Milestone Universe by two years, you know, and and I and I actually worked on that story with Reggie Hudlin, Dennis Cowan, Bill Sienkiewicz, and Chris Ormoyol, all of whom are have been incredibly integral in producing this incredible run that's been coming out of DC under the Milestone imprint. So, you know, it's been... It's an incredible ride, not only teaming up and having allies in real life, and I've been really great avid comic book fans, but even having iconic characters that I grew up, seeing them alongside. I mean, honestly, we've been able to do things in this independent storytelling space that not many, if any, can actually say they, they've been able to do. And also the fact that in less than four days, we completely funded um, our campaign and our it happened so fast that we haven't even had enough time to announce and set up all of our stretch goals, yeah. stretch goals yet. I mean, we still have three weeks left on this campaign. And I, we're like, hold up. We still have to like sort out all of our stretch goals. We haven't even gotten those um, verified yet. We didn't expect this to happen so fast. And I've been reaching out to people. We need to kind of get a little faster on these uh, announcements because, uh, you know, we don't want to kind of like, you know, we want to ride this wave. It's pretty, it's, it feels more like a tsunami right now than a, than a wave, you know? Yeah, tsunami in a good way. But I think it speaks to, again, the universality of the character um, that she fits in in so many different places and so many people want to be involved. Uh, but I am glad that you brought up the fact that it's fully funded. So I do want to mention everybody, there's 22, as uh, Edgar and I talk, uh, Edgardo and I talk, there's 22 days left. It is already fully funded. So, you know, if you join the campaign, you're going to get the book. Right. Uh, that being said, there are going to be those out there who just don't have the means right now. I know times are tough, or maybe this just doesn't seem like it's for you. The best way you can help out Edgardo and, and the rest of the creative team, other than joining the campaign and joining the community, is just to share it on social media, right? Let's make yeah. sure. Yeah, and also another another thing that we got that I'm super excited about is the retailer, the school, and library bundle which means that you can actually contact your local library. This is legitimate. I've actually have relationships with local libraries across the United States, and I've already been in conversation with many of them because they're going to add this hardcover to their collection. So, you know, you said it right there. If you don't have the funds right now, that's totally cool because if your local library actually joins this campaign, they can buy the books at the wholesale price. We have a retailer bundle, a library bundle that's available 
And that bundle can actually go towards a collection that can be added to your local library. And this comes from my background as an educator, understanding, and also quite honestly coming um, in a background as someone who was poor, who spent most of my afternoons avoiding the bullies at the local library, reading everything from Isaac Asimov to uh, Tolkien. You know, I was there in these libraries. So it's something that I encourage if, if you're acquainted, affiliated, support or work at a local library or even schools, it's a great opportunity. The books are, are significantly discounted for institutions and nonprofits because this is also um, an important part of our work to make sure that the books reach as many different audiences as possible. And a campaign campaign is going on until the 7th of July, but it's ending after that. And the good thing that you did mention is that the campaign is funded, so it's definitely happening. We already like putting the book on, on, a, on schedule for printing. As soon as the campaign wraps, it literally goes straight to print. And that's another perk about this campaign. This is not a campaign to fund an idea to produce a book. The book is done. It's literally collecting four already published graphic novels. It's collecting all of these graphic novels and short stories and pinups into a 300 plus page volume, hardcover volume, that is literally going to press in another month. And it'll be in your hands in time for the holidays um, because the printing schedules there, it, it, it will take a few months, but that's actually normal. Right. So we go into, we go, we're literally going on to press within um, less than a month after the campaign wraps. So it's something that we're super excited about. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's that, that's a fantastic way. Like, yeah, share it on social media. Let's make sure everybody that does have the means and wants to be part of the community and part of the campaign has a chance. If not, yeah, hey, local school, there's so much educational value with the things that we've talked about, representation and environmentalism and, and those kind of things. So it, Yeah, and I'll share there are many schools across the United States, not only primary and secondary schools, but even undergraduate and graduate schools, schools like Stanford University, Princeton, MIT, Harvard, Brown, my alma mater, Colgate University, all of these schools are actually teaching our books at the, at the university level. And it's phenomenal. We're constantly getting orders from libraries, um, from schools, because professors are actually teaching our books in classes. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. In addition to the 310-page graphic novel, which is made the pinups are awesome, a whole slew of talented artists. There's a couple of other items that I do want to mention that you can get as add-ons. Uh, there's a keychain. There's a cool hat. Uh, that uh, wearing it right now. <laughs> I know enamel pins are are all the rage right now. There's an enamel pin uh, as well. Uh, and there's also some of the variants of the yes. original, but those are those are limited, right? You have just a little. Yes, I'm actually very excited about the variants. I mean, to, just to tell you how fast this campaign got funded. Um, Jorge Molina, um, Molina, who's one of the most like prolific comic book cover artists right now for DC and Marvel, um, he hasn't even had time to finish his cover yet because we didn't expect this campaign to take off yet. So we just have a placeholder. Um, but one of my favorite variant covers, which we have available, is actually illustrated by the late Carlos Pacheco, one of my dearest friends. I miss him greatly. Oof, this is a tough one. I had a long conversation with him literally days before he passed away because I honestly, we both honestly thought that he was going to, he was going to beat this, you know? Mm -hmm. But as a beautiful kind of like legacy, um, he actually created this and gifted this illustration, which was an homage of his Superman cover. For those of you who, who know Carlos and, and know his work, this is a recreation of his Superman cover, which was an homage of the original Action, Action Comics first debut of Superman. And in this, obviously, iteration is uh, La Borinquena, 
Um, so this is one of the variant covers that's also available, and we have many other ones as well. And, and just as you mentioned, these are definitely a, a limited run. So it's a great add-on to um, those of you out there who are collectors, um, particularly collectors of art, recognizable artists like uh, the late, great Carlos Pacheco himself. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, yeah, it was a huge loss. Uh, my condolences that, that you knew him personally uh, had to be tough. Uh, well, I, I really want to thank you for your time, Edgardo. Congratulations on it funding already. Uh, thank one you. last thing that we have to, to mention uh, before I let you go is uh, you join this campaign, you pre-order, you support. Um, there is um, there is some donation that's going to happen, right? Uh, talk yes. a little bit about your uh, activism in Puerto Rico. So I believe in philanthropy. That's the role that I take as an activist. So since the beginning of our project, when we first launched in um, December 2016, we've always had uh, fundraising as a component of our work. And since then, we've raised $200,000, which we have awarded as microgrants to nonprofits throughout Puerto Rico. Now, in times of crisis, particularly like after Hurricane Maria and many other natural disasters that we've been seeing national, internationally, um, the human spirit immediately responds and many of us um, jump to the cause and we make donations. But the reality is, is oftentimes the charitable efforts aren't sustainable. So we came up with the idea of creating an opportunity for smaller nonprofit organizations and constantly provide them not only with these micro grants, but visibility. If you go to our regular website, la-wordincanada.com, you actually will learn about all of these organizations that we have been supporting. And that's an important part of our work. Um, the mere fact that you're supporting this campaign by purchasing your hardcover edition, you are actually supporting our continued philanthropic work in Puerto Rico. And I'm old school. I grew up watching Channel 13 PBS here in New York City and always watched the campaigns, you know, donate this much, get a mug, donate that much, get a tote bag. So that motto inspired me to produce comic books in this way. You know, when you physically hold that graphic novel, that hardcover edition, you also know that you're supporting our continued philanthropic work. So it's the, it's kind of like this way of truly inspiring and supporting real heroism in real life. Yeah, and like you said, Puerto Rico is sort of ground zero right now for climate change. They could They could use the help. Yeah, they and definitely the, will. The thing, but here's the other thing. The things we learn there are going to help everybody. Oh, certainly. Most certainly, because it's we're part of this global community. So the understanding and coming up with solutions, like one of the projects we're working on right now in Puerto Rico are connected to renewable energy. And it's serving as a model so that we can take it to other parts of the United States, other parts of Asia, other parts of uh, South, South Asia and other parts of um, Latin America, because... Obviously, it's not just uh, an, an, an idea and a concept that's strictly for Puerto Rico, but it's more like this is kind of like the testing ground where we could experiment, not necessarily experiment, but we could kind of like prove that it is a, is a viable um, option. And one of the projects, one of the nonprofits that we're supporting, Resilient Power Puerto Rico, they're engaged in a lot of resilient or rather um, renewable um, energy projects in Puerto Rico. So it's it's really in, in inspiring. The I mean, I'm not doing the work. We're just supporting and promoting the work that these um, organizations are doing. But um, but yeah, just like you said, it's like it's it serves as a model for the rest of the world as well. Yeah, hundred percent. So uh, there's links, everybody, in the show notes to the website. You can go and check out the nonprofits that uh, Edgardo and and uh, everybody involved with this book uh, support. You can go and 
find the Zoop campaign. Again, encourage you to go and check it out. If you decide it's not for you, please just share it on social media. Let's get, let's hit all those stretch goals and, and even farther. Let's have uh, Zoop and Edgardo scratching their heads going, oh man, we hit that stretch goal. We got to come up with another one. Let's really, let's really challenge them. Um, it is. <laughs> yeah. And for anybody that might have uh, questions or wants to reach out after they've read it or where's the best place? Do you engage online or where, where's the best place? I engage with everybody on social media. We have accounts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any comments that I made, I, we and my team were there to address them immediately or any questions or inquiries. Um, I, I, I pride myself in trying to be as connected as possible to our um, followers because the reality is, is that as an independent studio, we exist because our supporters are there all the time supporting us. So we're very grateful. And I can't emphasize this enough. We're only here because of the support that our readers, schools, and libraries have been showing and giving us throughout all of these years. And just as you have had me on your show, I'm grateful to you and I'm grateful to everyone else who gives me the opportunity to bring my work and my stories to them. Fantastic. Well, again, everybody, links to the website and the social media accounts in the show notes. Go and check it out. Edgardo, congrats on funding already and uh, thanks for the time. Thank you. Thank you. And to you listeners, we appreciate you uh, supporting us as always. Thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.